Well, hi there, and welcome to another episode of Flightcast, the Infinite Flight Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosewell, and if you've come looking for some chatter about Infinite Flight, you've landed in the right place. If you're a flying or flight sim enthusiast, but you've never heard of Infinite Flight, head over to the App Store on your iOS device or Google Play for Android and search for Infinite Flight. As always, we'll put the links in the comments for this episode. Alright, let's get going. Many of us Infinite Flight fans are either pilots, aspiring pilots, or general aviation enthusiasts. Very few of us are fortunate enough to work in what we would consider to be the best office in the world, the flight deck. My guest today is a first officer of a major international airline and currently pilots the super jumbo Airbus A380. Joining me on layover in Paris, France is Arnaud. Arnaud, it is a great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks, man. It's my pleasure to be here. I hope we're going to make some people happy. I hope so, too. I think, I think we will. We'll do our best. You're uh, our first airline pilot we've had on the podcast, and I have lots of questions to ask, and we're going to try and keep them infinite flight-related as much as possible, but uh, I apologize if we veer off track a little bit. Let's start with where you're from and in what part of the world you're currently living. So I'm born and raised in the Netherlands. Uh, at the moment, I'm living in the Middle East since six and a half years. So you guys can start guessing which of the three airlines I fly for. And I left Holland when I was 19 to pursue my dream of flying. So that's uh, 10 years ago already. And I only go back there for holidays. So not planning to go back. Just living the dream. Excellent. Well, you're living many of our dream. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, Now, as you said, we're not going to say which airline you fly for, so nobody gets in trouble, but uh, take us into the world of an airline pilot. Uh, Describe your job so that we can get a good idea of what your day-to-day looks like. Yeah, no problem, we'll do that. Uh, Let's do my flight going to Paris. I flew in during the night, so uh, during the day yesterday I tried to sleep a few hours. Let's say from, I I went to bed at 6, alarm at 10 in the evening, and I wake up. Have dinner, shower, be, spend some time with the wife, have a look at the babies. And then at 11.30, I went into the car to the airport. It's about a 20, 30 minutes drive. So signing in at the, how do you call this? I cannot use the, the name, of course. So it's like a technical building. That's where all the pilots and the cabin crew sign in. Uh, normally, we should be there one hour, 50 minutes before, but always people try to be early. You should meet so many friends there. You have have a little chat, and in there we do the we do the briefing. And we get all the paperwork. We already have it, the flight plan mostly, because we have a company iPad. So around two hours before the flight, we get the flight plan on it, and uh, we know the MELs already as well. It's a minimum equipment list, so any defects on the airplane which can affect the performance or something like that. And from there we just go. We meet the captain. You check the flight plan, decide on the fuel, check the weather, check the aircraft status. Everything has to take into consideration and do a little briefing and off to the airplane. And we get dropped at the airplane. We meet the cabin crew. It's between 22 and 25, mostly of them, on our flights. Of course, it's a big airplane and all the emergency exits need to be covered, which are 16. So that's why we need a lot of cabin crew on the A380. And after the briefing is done, we go to the flight deck. And then mostly it's already decided who's going to fly the airplane. And then you're going to have the roles, the pilot flying and the pilot monitoring. 
So the, we start with some checklist, prepare everything, do some calculations, and then the pilot monitoring, which was me, you know, go outside, do the walk around. And in the meantime, the captain set everything up. When I come back, I double check everything, you do a briefing, wait for the passengers to get on board, and off we go. Six hours flight time. Um, now in flight, people think we don't do much. Especially just taxing takeoff is very, or could be very stressful if the weather is bad and unfamiliar environments. But uh, this, because now it was from our home base and the weather was beautiful, so it's pretty relaxed. You know what to do. But in flight, people, what I say, they think we don't do much. But uh, we're always busy. We always have to talk to ATC, do fuel checks. Especially on the A380, we're very limited on uh, diverting to other airports. We cannot just go to every airport like you can do on a 320 or a 737 because of the size and our weight. So we always check in which is closest, where to go, what's the best option. It's a lot more work than flying, a, let's, for example, a 320 or a 737. And then we have to prepare the approach, let's say after six hours or five hours. It's six hours flight. So after five hours, you start preparing again, do the whole briefing and start your descent and off you go for landing. It's a, it's a long day. People underestimate the work we have to do. Right. So now when you, when you arrive at the, your destination, presumably you're in a different country. So uh, if you're disembarking, do you have to go through customs just like everybody else? It depends. It depends on the local, uh, local procedures. Like here in Paris, they just changed it. Before we just got picked up by a bus and, uh, at the airplane, at the gate. Where the passenger disembark, go to the whole airport, customs, suitcase. We just got our suitcase at the airplane, in the bus, and straight to the hotel. Where well, last week they changed it, so now we go to another terminal, do a quick migration, back in the bus, and then straight to the hotel. In some airports, you just go like the passengers. You walk over the airport, you get your suitcase where the passengers are waiting for their suitcases. It really depends. Okay, so and I presume that there's different situations for going through security at the airport as well for you guys, uh, depending on the airport yeah yeah for sure mostly with crew lanes which are more relaxed and of course they do random checks as well so sometimes one of us gets pulled out or everybody they do it it really depends on the day and the mood of the the customs probably but there's no complaints it's very relaxed you know people uh, people they like to see you as a crew you know makes a lot of people happy and people appreciate it when you walk over the airport which i really enjoy myself as well a lot of times kids approach us and have a little chat. Or, you know, it's nice. Yeah, and I've, I've been sitting in an airport before where I've had to, some time to kill and I've seen a, a pilot sitting there and I'm never sure whether he just wants to be left alone or she wants to be left alone or if they're up for a chat. But I've had some nice uh, pilots who are willing to chat and just love aviation like yourself and they want to chat about it. And uh, it's been, I've had some really nice chats that way as well. Yeah, I think it's with most of us. You know, everybody has one comparison, which is the world of aviation. That's right. And a lot of times, what I see, you know, kids or teenagers are protos, especially teenagers, and they're a bit shy, but they want to know how to get into the world. Mm-hmm. And it's a tricky. It could be very tricky to get in. So when I was the age, I was looking for information as well. And why not help each other out? You know? Yeah, excellent. All right, well, let's back up a little bit. So speaking of aviation, you can tell us maybe a little bit about how you got started and uh, what drew you into flying and what steps did you take in pursuing your career? And when I was I think, 
10 or 11. I have some family living in San Francisco, so we went the first time to visit them. And at that point, you were still allowed to get into the flight deck. So we flew with British Airways from Amsterdam to London Heathrow, and then continued from London Heathrow to San Francisco in the 747. And during flight, one of the, the purses, I would guess, she came, and because it was me, my brother, and my parents, and they asked if we did, wanted to have a look in the flight deck during cruise. So off we went, and since then, that was the moment you know, that I got hit. Since then, it's all been about flying. I want to do this. I want to do this. Let's go for it. And yeah, since so since I've been ten or eleven, but I remember. And then uh, you know when internet came, because it really started when I was a kid, and it was just the the, the I say the old internet lines, the like the, when you get connected, you cannot get a phone call, and it was difficult to get information. But by time with the internet everything became so much easier to get the information and check YouTube movies and all that stuff so it's been amazing especially nowadays people just just go for it well it's like uh, Tyler said in our first interview or it might have been in episode 3 YouTube is your best friend um, and if you know you can learn a lot by really by watching YouTube and flight simming um, that's the thing I would also ask Add uh, Mr. Google for that. Right. Because that's all the information you need. If you know how to look for it and you have patience, you will find everything. That's true. Let's bring this around to Infinite Flight. Uh, I would imagine that with layovers, you have some spare time on your hands once in a while to play. Uh, how did you get started in the game? It's, it's very true. I have some times only when I'm outstation. But uh, if I have a friend, actually, he's also in the advanced ATC team. He One day, he showed me... Uh, just a few pictures of the game. Because it's always nice just to have something to do. Sometimes we wait in the hotel, get delayed, and you have to wait. And you just, says, you just can kill your time, flight simulator. And when I started with it, it's just before the live ATC got introduced. And I found out that they were looking for some people with real life experience. So I got into touch with all the guys, with Dan, Tyler. And since then, it just got rolling. And it, I got more into it every time we, I was busy with it. And it's, ama- it's amazing. Huh? It's, a, it's just this community with attracts people. It's nice. You meet so many people online from all over the world, and everybody helps each other out, is friendly, and is open. And it just keeps you busy, and it's very nice. Now, do would you say that the now with live ATC, that gives you kind of another avenue to uh, play other than flying, which you do every day for a living. So do, do you find that, playing a flight simulator is too close to your real life job so you tend to maybe not play too much or is it just that you love the whole aviation world so much that it's not it doesn't seem like just more work no it's just a it's just for it's just fun you know, i've always been into flight simulators before i started flying and it of course it became less so i don't have a desktop anymore as when i was a kid at home right and on the laptop it's not really working and there's other things as well you do, of course. But now when with two babies at home, it's just nice to be out stationed in the hotel, relax, play a game, be in touch with people. It's just the whole, the whole, the whole background. Well, and that's the thing too, it, I guess. It's with really the, nice the, with the community. That's the part that really that's, helps, right? That's the word I was looking for. There we go. <laughs> so, as a real-world pilot, how do you see Infinite Flight in terms of flight parameters and controls, and how the aircraft respond to them? And so, in general, how accurately uh, does it represent real-world flying? 
Well, to be honest, I just started checking it on a 380 a few days ago. I never really fly it. I always fly the Embraer or the, the 737 the, with the Autoland, of course, to, to check it out and stuff. But I'm really impressed with all the parameters. I did some 380 touch and goes and comparing with the weight and the flap setting and the speeds for takeoff, it all works the way it should be. It's amazing. I, used, I have some software, of course, which I cannot share online that I can calculate takeoff speeds and everything. And I just did it, and it worked beautiful. Nice. Uh, I should mention, too, that our friend uh, on Facebook, Ian Rodriguez, uh, had a question similar, and he said, uh, as a pilot on the A380, can you reflect on the realism of the Infinite Flight A380 compared to the real ones? And what are some differences and similarities? Do you notice any differences? I mean, obviously, when you're sitting in a flight deck, you have a lot more to do than if you're playing a flight sim. But, uh, you know, how would you comment on that question? Uh, the basic flying is it's very accurate. As I said, it's really, it really impresses me a lot because it's just a, or it's it's not just it's a simulator for the tablet or the phone. So you cannot compare it. A lot of people co- try to compare it to flight simulators on the desktop. I think it's it's a different world to be honest. Okay. And but it's it's amazing. There's some things missing, of course. But it, it's, as I said, it's a tablet. Right. You cannot put everything in there. And there's so many, air, airplanes have so many systems and like Airbus, they have some protections. For example, they have a bank angle protection. And I'll just read it from the manual, which says the maximum achievable bank angle is 67 degrees or 60 degrees in high lift configuration. So that means when your flaps are extended. It's not in the game, but you know, it's. I think it's too much to ask from the developers to put all these things in there as well. So when you say protection, do you mean the airplane will actually not let you do that? Yeah, true. That's okay. the. If you're in normal law, there's a few different laws. The airplane is depending on the state, but mostly, or let's say 99.9%, the airplanes will be normal law, and you have some different protections. So it will, yeah, it will keep you. It's, a, it's called flight envelope protection, so it will always keep you in the safe side, the envelope, the parameters. Okay, so the computer kicks in and it says, nope, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I like this bank angle. Right. So if you're flying without flaps, let's say you're just take off at 8,000 feet, speed to 50, and you want to make a 90 degrees bank, it's impossible. You can go as much as you want with the sidestick to the left or to the right, but the airplane will stop at 67 degrees. Okay, and what about things like we've, you know, we've all, most of us have read stories about uh, uh, maybe the airliner that went down too soon in San Francisco and uh, landed way short and crashed the airplane, and there were um, sync rate warnings. Yeah. Does sync rate come into play with the that envelope as well? Well, that in San Francisco it was a Boeing. It's, they don't have these protections. Ah. So, uh, it's okay. all. It's a real Airbus thing. I don't know. I cannot say much about it. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to give false information. No, of course not. Of course not. Which is one thing I I had really tried to avoid, even on the forums or on Facebook. I I don't mind to talk about stuff, but I just where I know about or what I can check in the manuals. Well, and we don't need to talk about Boeing today, do we? No, it's maybe better. <laughs> we'll keep it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you had a you had mentioned something uh, another similarity that you were really impressed with with the game something about landing gear. Yeah, true. I had some questions about people. They asked me, "Is it uh, accurate how it, how the speed drops when you lower the landing gear?" Uh, of course, today I paid some extra attention to it 
and it's amazed. You know, I, today we drop the landing gear, and we have a an arrow when we increase or reduce the speed. It's called this speed trend. It shows our speed for the next ten seconds. That's the pink line, right? And it's a yellow line. Oh, okay. Pink in the, sorry, in infinite flight. It's yeah, in infinite flight. It's pink. There we course. go. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, <laughs> We just woke up, folks. Give yeah, us a break. Both of us. Uh, we're all doing this for you guys. <laughs> just waking up for everyone. No, but that's the, it's accurate. We lower the gear and the speed just drops. Of course, in real life, but it's the same in infinite flight. It's a big speed break because we have 22 wheels. There's five landing gears, nose wheel, which consists of two wheels. And then we have uh, two body wheel. Oh, sorry, body landing gears and two wing landing gears. In total, it's going to be 22 wheels. So you can imagine the drag it gives to the airplane. And we use it a lot to slow it down as well on final approach. When ATC gives us speed restrictions, you can use the speed brake, which is very uncomfortable. It's pretty uncomfortable for the passengers. You start rocking and shaking. So the best thing to do is just lower the landing gear. Mm. So you mentioned before your walk around and your pre-flight check. Is the the Airbus A three eighty is a massive machine? Does the walk around take longer than previous aircraft that you've flown? Oh yes, for sure, it takes longer. Before I was on the A three thirty, so you can see there's different in size and there's two engines. We have to check everything. Of course, there's also an engineer who does it, but in the end, the engineer stays on the ground. You know, he can check, do the walk around, but he's not going to fly. He's not going to be in the airplane. 39,000 feet when something goes wrong. So the walk around is one thing I take my time for. You can better take one minute more and be safe than you know, in the flight and I get issues. And when you're back on the ground safe, you realize, oops, if I just took one minute more of my time, this wouldn't have happened. Right. Now, have you ever noticed anything in your walk around that needed a second uh, check by an engineer? No, not really, actually. The only time I had something was... Uh, in Amsterdam, and, uh, we had a, but it wasn't. I didn't see it. It was in the middle of the night, and it was inside the engine. But out of departure from my home base, they had a bird strike, which I didn't notice. And they just, uh, just a small bird, but there was some feathers and some meat stuck in the engine. So they had to do uh, a butters buttoscopic, they call it. I think it's like a X-ray. So it takes some, took them three hours, and they have to make sure that the engine is still fine to fly back. Of course. Okay. And uh, obviously, you arrived safely. Yeah, yeah. It just takes time. It's, safety is the main issue in aviation, luckily. Because in the end, you, trend, you fly with a lot of people. It's not like a car where you're with two, four people. If something goes wrong in aviation, it will go wrong. And you have two, three, four, on the 380, 500 plus people on board. Now, with so, the safety first. With the 380, how many engines can you safely uh, fly the aircraft with? Two engines you can still fly safely and then depending of course if it's two engines on the same wing or two engines on separate wings right but mostly it's like every airplane and you know they're all certified to fly with 50 percent of the thrust so on a triple seven if they lose one engine they can still fly you fly lower and slower of course you lose 50 percent on a two engine airplane if we lose one engine we lose 25 percent of the power so we can still maintain a higher altitude and fly faster, and sometimes even continue to destination. Depend if it's damaged, engine damage or not. What the company wants, if we have the amount of fuel left, and uh, we can continue even. Now on a 320, when you're on final, uh, uh, let's say you're on a final visual approach, 
or even maybe in a 330, it, you, you're, you, you're a glider at some point, right? Uh, is this still the case with the 380? I mean, this is a, this is a massive building that you're no, flying. It, yeah, but the, the lift, the wing is amazing. It fly, the, the 380 has so much lift. The 330 as well. I think the 330 is one of the best gliders Airbus built. But it's not like you come in without power. You always have power available. Or you need it, actually, because you need to be ready for the go-around. And to spool up the engines, it will take time. So you always fly with power. Right, okay. To say, with thrust. There's always 25, 30, sometimes even more, 50. It, it just depends. It all depends on the weather, your weight, your configuration, the altitude, the air pro, the elevation. It's a lot of different variables that determine the speeds and the, and the thrust settings. There are so many questions I could ask you, but let's get back to our list here so that we don't veer too far off track. Um, what tips would you have for infinite flight pilots in terms of airplane physics or reading weather information? Hey, that's a good one. Well, the, the, concerning the weather, I would say go to the, the forum, the official infinite flight forum there's some tutorials and one of them is about metars and there's a lot of information on how to read the meta and the weather it's pretty pretty straightforward if you get a hang of it it's, it always starts with the airport the time utc the date and then you start with wind visibility if there's any clouds temperature dew point but the most important for infinite flight is to know the wind because that's what the runway and use are based on always the winds so arnold you're a uh controller on the advanced server and you've been a great resource for people on the community forum and you've just mentioned the community forum actually so we'll just say there, there are lots of great tutorials which you can find if you go to community.infinite uh, yeah sorry there are some great tutorials if you go to community.infinite-flight.com slash c for charlie slash tutorials lots of great stuff there and uh, one thing I've tried to do as a controller is to know my surroundings so I don't vector any aircraft into terrain um, uh, Canberra is a good example in the Sydney region what tips do you have for controllers especially for our advanced two controllers um, who are working approach or departure frequencies so I'm thinking oh. about external resources like approach plates or charts well Mr. Google just put it in there put it between brackets or just put a uh... Let's use London Heathrow as an example. If you want to know the, the approach plate, just put ILS 27 right, uh, Echo Golf Lima Lima, or EGLL, which is the, the airport code, and enter. Go to images and have a look what you find. Everything nowadays is online, so it's just the way how to find it, and if you can find it. Everything is available. And when you do approach in infinite flight or so if you select the airplane and you go hold the screen and you go around you will see the the terrain which is the best i think personally so if you vector a few planes you will know or you get used to it you know you know ah this point is 5000 feet and you don't want an airplane to be more low or more than 2000 feet or less than 2000 feet from the terrain so you know okay 7000 feet is going to be the minimum altitude or 8000 even to be safe and when they pass the terrain for a certain distance, you can lower them, descend them more. And can we find uh, altitudes for terrain on the approach plates? Yes. I just uh, uploaded a tutorial about how to read an approach chart. Uh, in the right top, there's a circle, which is called the MSA, the minimum safety or the minimum sector altitude. And that shows the, 
the minimum safety altitude, normally within a range of 25 miles from a fix or airport reference point. So the one I used is 27 left in uh, London Heathrow, and it will show the, the, the MSA for the 25 miles based on London VUR. And it will show, just reading the chart now, it says 2,100 feet, and then in the northwest it's 2,200 feet. It's the same almost, and 100 feet is not a big issue, but there's airports where you can fly into where it's maybe mountains on one side, so you're going to have four, five, six thousand feet difference. Right. And it becomes very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting for me too when I'm controlling because I'm, I'm just thinking, well, I can't see out this pilot's window, so I'm hoping that my vectors are good. <laughs> I, and we always have safety systems as well. GPWS, it's a, or even eGPWS, enhanced ground proximity warning systems. It's all based on the database. It knows where you fly. If you get close to terrain, you get some alarm calls, and you, know, you put maximum trust, nose up, and off you go. Yeah, and you Back get to safety. It's down to trusting your instruments and trusting your training, right? Yeah, and just the ATC. They know what they're doing. Everybody's in the world of aviation is professionals, and nobody wants to fly into a mountain, of course. Everybody knows what they have to do. And with the systems nowadays, the technology, it is, it's very safe. You know? I never get concerned about, mm, do I trust this? Do I trust this controller or not? There's so many backups for everything. Good stuff. So if we're talking about realism, a lot of people are you know, wanting various things added to the game to make it more realistic. But in my mind... There's a lot of things that we as pilots can do to make the game more realistic. And I'm thinking um, things like flying the runway heading for a certain length of time. Yes, or, um, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff like that, right? Or planning your flight before you take off. It, it, people are anxious to taxi, very impatient well, sometimes taxiing on the ground just to get in the air. But if we're looking for realism, what are a few real-life procedures and rules that we can follow um, as infinite flight pilots to make our experience a little more realistic or successful? Well, let's start with a taxi. Uh, don't taxi more than 30 knots on straight lines and 10 knots in 90 degrees turns. Uh, if we do this in real life, we'll probably damage the airplane, especially on heavy weights. Would it be 10 knots for turns for any aircraft? Uh, what I know from Airbus, it's 10, 10 knots. Okay. I don't know about Boeing or Embraer. Or, I cannot say that. But uh, Anyway, our company procedures is also like that. It's probably more limiting, as always, right. which is good. So safety first in the end. And another thing that annoys me sometimes is when people come in for landing at 250 knots when they're three miles out. Mm -hmm. I made a nice tutorial regarding approach speed. I recommend everybody to have a look at it. It's called Approach Speed Explained, I think, if you go to the search function. And it will show, because airplanes have different approach categories. If Charlie, Delta, and then it depends on the certification based on the max landing weight and which category your airplane falls. Like the 380 is in Charlie, and the 777 is in Delta, what I know. And it just gives uh, different speeds. And those speeds are really realistic. You can always use them as long as you're landing below max landing weight, which is another thing uh, which I would recommend is just go to settings, weight, put after you take off, or when you come in for landing, reduce your weight to get it more realistic, because that's what people want, I guess, when they're flying on advanced. Because I've never landed above max landing weight, which is only what only happens in emergencies. So you've you just mentioned... try to adjust and make it. Make, it will make the whole 
game more fun it will make it more easier for everybody more realistic other people will get less frustrated as well about people coming in way too fast and you and mentioned uh, approach speeds that was my next question what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see pilots making and this is in the game yeah well the biggest mistakes uh, let's see I think it's just taking off and straight away, you know, before people get airborne, they start turning already. Or they climb out with uh, 250 knots already at 100 feet. They're just, they're just airborne and that's it, full speed ahead. You know? it's, it doesn't work like that in real life. A lot of people, they take off as well, for sure, with 100% thrust. Try to lower it. There's no need to do that. In real life, on the 380, I've never used 100%. We always, always use less... Uh, Trust it. Save the engine. It's better for maintenance costs, and it, it you you have more time to react as well. You don't let's say you climb out with 150, 160 knots, and you climb with 2,000 feet instead of climbing 8,000 feet a minute. So you have more time. It, it's more relaxed for yourself as well. It gives you a better experience. Obviously, being a pilot affects the way you approach the game. If we reverse that. Has playing Infinite Flight or being involved in the Infinite Flight community changed your approach to being a pilot? Not really, to be honest. I mean, it's it's always different. It's it's not comparable with what we do on the line in real life and in the game. It's just tried when I fly. I just try to use stuff that I use in real life to put it in the game. And uh, the other way around, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get a bit tricky and might end up a bit sure. dangerous. I, I would recommend you just rely on your training and your experience. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we've got, uh, we've put a request out to Twitter and Facebook for some questions from our Infinite Flight community that we've been talking about so much. So let's take a few of those questions. Um, we've got a question again from Ian Rodriguez who says, uh, what is your favorite and least airport you've ever flown into? My favorite airport will be, of course, Amsterdam. Because it's my where I'm. Well, I'm not from Amsterdam, but I'm from Holland. You know, as a young kid, I always went there on Sunday afternoons with some friends, spotting, looking at airplanes, and dreaming of the future. So suddenly to fly from there was a very weird experience. Suddenly you're on the other side, and then of course airports like Geneva and Zurich because the scenery it's amazing, it's beautiful, especially in clear weather and all the mountains surrounding you. You know, if uh, it's an amazing. Amazing view we have from the flight deck. Uh, even in Osaka as well in Japan, it's it's an airport in the bay, but it's all built up on man-made land. So you you do the approach, you fly actually in the bay. So you come in, you get lower and lower. You're you see the whole city, and you make a 180 degrees turn, and suddenly you're on final and you land, and you were just flying over the ocean. And then the least I've been to some. Some scary places in Pakistan, Afghanistan. I cannot give too much information. It's more restrictive information as well. Sure. But any airport is nice, you know, and it's always a challenge if it's if there's terrain around or weather. You mentioned. I don't mind to fly anywhere. You mentioned a system uh, at London Heathrow. Uh, follow the greens. Can you explain that? Yeah, that's one thing which is really nice. They use in London Heathrow. Uh, they only do it, of course, it doesn't work in daylight because you have to follow the taxi lights. But when the sun goes down or at night, it's uh, follow the greens. They just tell you after landing, taxi to your gate. They will give you this, your gate number and they say follow the greens. And the greens, they mean the taxiway center lights. So they just 
pre-planning your route. You just follow the lights. So they're changing they the lights on the ground just for you. Yeah. So they don't tell you to go left on Alpha, right on Charlie. Or they don't give you any whole list of turning left and right and where to go. They just say, follow the greens. And when you have to stop, they will put a red stop bar in front of you. That's, or the greens suddenly stop. That's amazing. And we've all, really we've all heard on YouTube the angry uh, controllers at JFK who get mad at you when you don't know where you're going on the ground. Yeah. They should use it there as well, probably. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's a pretty nutty place. That, ah, sounds, it works in that sounds great. So, uh, Heathrow is one of the most busiest airports in the world with two runways, and it works amazing there. So I don't know why other airports, they don't use it. So from a pilot perspective, this is from Ian as well. Do you believe that uh, Infinite Flight ATC is an accurate representation of real-life ATC? What do you specifically like, and what would you want added, if anything? Now, the basics are very good. Uh, once again, I'm, when I joined the game and I did the first run of ATC, I was really impressed in all the commands. They are there what's needed. If everybody just follows the instructions, so ATC and pilots, and everybody knows what they're doing, you don't need more. Of course, there are always situations that you cannot prepare for, and then there's no command ready for that. But no, I think it, it's amazing. Eh? And it's, you can see the difference when we started, like around eight months ago or seven months ago when it got introduced to where we're now. It's a different world. In the beginning, everybody was just doing whatever they want. They didn't rely or didn't follow instructions. And now, in, especially on the VNF, the Friday night flights, it gets better and better. It's better experience for everybody who's involved in the game. I want to mention that we had a similar question from, and I'm going to attempt his name here, uh, Clément Boiselier. And he said, how do you like controlling an infinite flight, which we've touched on already, but what would you like as the next improvement on the controller side of the game? Uh, one thing I put in the forum for a future request is just the, the basic holding instruction. When it gets too busy, uh, sometimes people get factored away from the airport and they, don't, they say unable, unable. I think that's mostly because they don't realize that ATC needs to vector them around because there's, it's just too busy to put everybody straight in on the ILS. So just the basic holding instruction would be great. Like when ATC tells you, uh, for example, hold at present position, and you have an autopilot button available, it says hold, and it will just start you making your holding pattern until ATC gives you a heading to continue. So would a holding pattern be flying in circles or flying in figure eights, or what does that look like when you're given a holding pattern? Uh, it's more normally it's you, in real life you go to a, a certain point um, above 14,000 feet it's one minute and a half lag so one let's say you go to a point one some VOR and you and they say enter the holding and heading 270 so you fly for heading 270 for one minute and a half and then the ATC will inform you as well make left or right also depending on that you turn left or right 180 degrees and you go the other side. Okay. So then heading 090 for one minute and a half. And when you're below 40,000 feet, it becomes one minute. I think for infinite flight, it would be amazing if the developers can just make a holding. Just put one minute. It doesn't really matter. If everybody does one minute, an ATC can lower you inside the holding, which is very common. So you hold. Let's say you enter the holding at 20,000 feet. And after 10 minutes, you're still in holding, but you're suddenly at 6,000 feet. And you're number one to get into the approach. I think that would be awesome and even more awesome if we were able to see that airplane that's in a holding pattern maybe in another color, like in a yellow or something, so that yeah, we as controllers like awesome. don't forget about them, right? Oh, they've been holding for, you know, 10 minutes. No, we should put them in, work them into the pattern. 
if you have four or five airplanes on top of each other, even in infinite flight, this happens in real life. You know, you see when you're in the holding, you see somebody 1,000 feet above you, 1,000 feet below you, which is 300 meters. It's amazing. And people just then say you're number four. So everybody below you gets lowered 1,000 feet. Then the next one gets lowered 1,000 feet. So number three is at 8,000 feet. He gets down to 7,000 feet. Number four, which we are, will be at 9,000 feet. So the moment number three reaches 7,000 feet, which is 2,000 feet difference, then ATC will tell us, okay, now you can descend to 8,000 feet. Now you descend to 8,000 feet. And then number five on top of you will, will, will take your 9,000 feet. This will be a really nice addition to the game. And it will take a lot of pressure away from for the controller as well, I think. Uh, our friend on Infinite Flight uh, fan group on Facebook, Zach Curran, says, uh, Arnold, when did you get your private pilot's license? Uh, what was the age and year? Never. Never? Explain that. No. <laughs> I think it's a... You see it more in the U.S. That, because it's a lot cheaper to fly in the U.S. than in Europe. That People start with a private pilot license. But in Europe, you see it a lot that people... Like myself, I knew I wanted to become a pilot. I've been in since I was... 10 or 11, always flight simulator, and there's no other way. So why should I spend another 15,000 euros on a private pilot license, which I will repeat during my ATPL or in frozen ATPL course? It's just For me, it was a waste of money, so I just skipped that part. And I went straight for the, 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 the frozen ATPL or the professional pilot's license. And you said course. So was this schooling? Like, was this uh, what we would call in North America college or university or was this just a, a flight school? Yeah. It's a flight school. It's two years. You do a lot of theory. It's not too complicated, but it's a lot of information. A lot. That's, uh, everybody can do it. You just have to be ready to read, 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 repeat, read, 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 repeat, study, study, do exam, test here. This whole pilot life is about exams. But it's, it's nice. You know, and that's why I never done my private pilot license just to save the bucks for the because the training is expensive and it gets every year it gets more expensive which I think is it's unbelievable and it's this is not the way you know the industry is getting wasted because of the costs for training and it's too bad because and I realize there are you know when you want to get your PPL there are rental costs and there are fuel costs and there are instructor costs and so on but you know at some point it's going to be something that only the rich can do, uh, which is a shame. Yeah, I have seen it myself. You know, there's guys, they do the training. Uh, they get loans or they get mortgages on parents' houses and they never get a job. It's really sad, you know. And how can you pay off, let's say, a 1,000 euros loan? And then people, they, I got lucky. I just finished college. I was 19 and I went to do flight training. I didn't do any background, backup, no university, nothing. So if I couldn't get a flying job, I just would end up, with all the respect of course, but just in a supermarket or working at a cafeteria or something. And the salary you make then is, will just cover your interest rates from your loan. So you'll never pay off your, your flight loan, you just pay the interest, which is really, you know, it can affect the stories of people that had to sell the house just because this, the kid did flight training and they never got a job as a pilot. Right. So, uh, next question is from, and again, we've got people from all around the world, so being uh, in Canada, I'm going to do my best with some of these names, but uh, I think it's pronounced Muhammad Zaufli, 
And he says, uh, Arnaud, as a pilot, how long does it take to run through all the checklists before flight? And how long does it take to fully refuel the Airbus A380? Okay, the checklist, I think it's a, it's a common uh, thing that people understand wrong. A checklist, it goes quick. It takes 5-10 seconds. It's, it's a checklist, so the actions are already done. It's just to confirm that the actions are done properly. So, and most checklists, there are just 5 or 6 items, so it goes really quick. And to refuel... I checked it out. So refueling for the A380, the, let's start. The maximum capacity we can take, it's going to be in kilos and liters. Sorry for all the American listeners, but my manuals are, in, are like that. So the maximum fuel the A380 can handle is 254,000 kilos of fuel. So 254,000 kilos of fuel, which is more or less 324,000 liters, which is three to 4,000 liters. And if we do refueling with two hoses, we have two connections, one on the left wing and one on the right. So in 45 minutes, you can pump in around 200,000 kilos, which is 260,000 liters. And that will be 4,500 kilos a minute when you refuel from both sides. That is a lot of fuel. That is a lot of fuel. And not that fuel is stored in the wings. Well, this everything is... Let's say, yeah, mostly stored in wings and then in the trim tank as well on the back of the airplane. The trim horizontal stabilizer has a fuel tank as well, which is pretty funny. It's a funny fact. And you can put around 18,000 kilos of fuel just in the, in the trim horizontal stabilizer. Oh, wow. 18,000 kilos of fuel is the same amount as a full tr- fully refueled 320. <laughs> so this is just one tank. Wow. <laughs> and it's a pretty small thing. Uh, these numbers are amazing, and especially that it gets airborne. Yeah? The fact that it gets airborne it blows my mind every time. I think everybody, uh, Louis C.K. said uh, when he was on Conan O'Brien, everybody should be screaming for joy that they're sitting in a seat in the air every time one of these things takes off. Oh yeah, but that's the thing which we don't realize when we're flying. So we're in the front in the cockpit, and the cockpit of the 380 is huge compared to any airplane I've seen. And you, know, you don't realize how big it is. You're flying and you, know, you see airplanes crossing 1,000 feet below or above us. You see 320, like, oh, that's a big airplane. But you don't realize, which is good, actually, I think, because if you start realizing what airplane you're flying and that you have more than 500 people on board and you're going to land, it's going to put a lot of pressure on yourself. I think so too. You want to make sure that you're just focusing on your job and not worrying about what's at stake when you're flying. Yeah, for sure. So Henrik Berg on Facebook has asked us, what aircraft did you fly before the A380, which you've already mentioned, but why don't you give us a yeah. little rundown? Uh, well, I started with the rating on the 320, from the 320 to the 330, and from the 330 to the 380, all within six years. So I got very lucky. I have a friend who's flying... Um, I won't say the airline, but he's flying uh, the A320, I believe, or the A319, actually. So he's rated for that. It's it's the same family. Right. So as you uh, move from Airbus to Airbus, is there much different in getting that rating? No, no, not at all. Airbus is all the same philosophy. So you can move, let's say, from the 320 to the 380 within eight days, I think. It's just a short training because the cockpit... It's all the same. It's the same way of flying. It's just the airplane characteristics which are different. Okay. And now when you're flying the A320, 
20, let's say, do you have mm-hmm. the same uh, flight parameter envelope that keeps you safe in terms of bank angles and things like that? Yeah, yeah. All the basics are all the same. Okay. Like the same 67 degrees you will have, or 60 degrees with lift uh, devices. That's, that's why it's very easy to move from one Airbus to the other. And you can even fly, let's say, the, a lot of air, or a lot, there's airlines that, that pilots fly the 320 and the 330 together. It's called a mixed fleet. Okay. Or the 330 and the 340. I even think you can use the 330 and the 350 as one type as well. So be honest with us. Have you ever played Infinite Flight while you're in the flight deck? <laughs> no, I cannot do that. I wish. Yeah. Well, no, I, 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 I think your passengers are probably more comfortable with you not playing video games while you're in the flight deck. Oh, yeah, for sure as well. But it's you don't have time for that, and I don't think it's uh, what we should do as well. Well, yeah. you've talked a little bit about you know what you do in the cockpit that keeps you um, busy. So, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, and this is, this is pretty common for YouTube comments. You'll see people saying, well, the pilot doesn't have to do anything. They're, they're, everything's on autopilot. But like you've said, you've got to plan, constantly plan because you're going very fast in this aircraft. Um, where you're going to land this thing if something goes wrong, right? So you're constantly figuring that out. What other things are you doing throughout the flight that might keep you busy? Um, and, and while I'm thinking about it too, do you have, uh, in flight or I I guess uh, Wi-Fi in the cockpit? Because I know some airlines are not allowing that and some are, and I don't, don't answer if you can't, if you have have to give anything away, but let's start with. Oh no, it's no problem. The Wi-Fi is in the old airplane, of course, but, uh, company rules, they say, no, you cannot use it, which is fair. I think we're not there to use internet. We're there to work. It's the same, I think, as an office job, you know, you're not. Not allowed, mostly, I guess, by your by your boss when you're in the office to check Facebook as well at work. Right. It's the same philosophy or the same principle. Yeah, and I understand that. So what's, getting back to the first part of my question, what are some other things that you're doing while you're in flight that are keeping you busy? Well, it's a lot of stuff. Like I said, we always have to pre- uh, plan. You always have to be ahead of the game with aviation. You, If you're behind, it's going to get you into trouble one day. So you want to be, so, yeah. uh, I guess, proactive instead of reactive. Yeah, for sure. So you already have to pre-plan for, let's say, if you fly over Iran, there's high terrain or getting into Turkey. So we have special charts and routes in case of decompression. On the 380 doesn't really matter, affect us anymore because we have different systems. But like on the 330 before, with one engine, you have to descend. But that's the terrain, so you have to build up an escape route. You have to be ready for that in case it happens. You cannot do it when you have a decompression to set everything up, then you're too late. Right. So as a real-life pilot with experience in actual flight simulators, what would you like to see next for Infinite Flight? And uh, Arnaud, please don't say 3D buildings. <laughs> no, that's my last worry. I think people uh, are expecting too much with the 3D buildings. So I don't know if the developers are going to be happy with me, but if you want 3D buildings, go get a desktop flight simulator. That's my opinion, at least. I agree. There's so yeah. much out there that you can get, uh, you know, so much realism for. But let's remember, people, this is a, this is on your phone, you know, or your tablet. Exactly. There's only so much they can do. And it's, uh, what's more important, the airplanes or the buildings? Or the behavior of the airplanes or the buildings? Or the airport or the buildings? No, I don't see the point in that. But it's my personal opinion. Well, everybody has his own, of course, which is fair. I fair enough. We're on the same page. But uh, some things I would like to see would be taxi lights, 
from there. Because now if you taxi at night, you don't know where you go. Right. So there's not really any lightning. Just a taxi, like follow the greens. Just put some green lines in there. And uh, so it's, it's able to, you would be able to taxi. And maybe some bigger regions. There's a lot of, like London, Amsterdam, the regions are nice. Now, some are a bit personally too small, you know, this... Of course, there's different like uh, regions for mountain flying. You're not going to fly in a 747 there, so you don't need a big region to fly a Cessna caravan. But it would be great, you know, to fly. Let's say if you be able to fly it from London to Amsterdam, because a lot of times the airports are very unfamiliar. And if I fly in the Amsterdam region, there's airports there that are not used anymore. For example, so it would be nice just to fly or to be able to do some longer flights like that. So let's get back to aviation for a little bit. Um, and now that we've learned that this process was different for you, but a, a pilot friend once told me that if I want to get my private pilot's license, my PPL, save up the money first and do it all quickly so that I don't regress between situ- uh, sessions, so if I'm having to save up money between lessons or whatever. Um, would you agree with that? Or what advice would you give for aspiring pilots looking to get their PPL or pursue a career as an airline pilot? For sure, I agree in that. In the, the, if you want to get your license, the more hours you can do in the least period, the better. It's like, for sure, there's a lot of people have seen it when they get their driving license. And if you go once every week for one hour, it takes more time. You need more hours. If you get into it and you're dedicated, just keep on going. And it will be cheaper, more fun, and you learn a lot more. And to pursue a career as an airline pilot, my biggest advice is Check the requirements for the airline you want to fly for. Don't follow the flight schools. They just want money. They're made, the flight school is there to make money. They don't care if you get a job or not. If you want to work for an airline like Virgin Atlantic or British Airways, Lufthansa, American Airlines, go online, check their requirements, and follow your path from there. Don't base it on the flight schools. That's great advice. I've never even considered that. Um... No, I've seen it in my own, when I did my flight training as well, there were people who had no idea. Like an example, KLM, they have their own flight school. If you want to fly for KLM, of course, you have to go via the flight school. I always had the, uh, I never wanted to stay in Holland or fly in Holland. So I went somewhere, I went to Spain for my flight training. And there were a few guys, they were thinking, oh, I'll do it here because it's cheaper. And then I go to KLM and they got a rude awakening. You know? They will never get there. So if you go through KLM's flight training school, hypothetically speaking, and I know you don't speak for any airlines here, would you then be able to go fly for another airline or would you have to do it all over again as well? Does it work in reverse? I know the license is the European license. Oh, okay. So you can go fly anywhere. And the European license is the most valuable one in the world, I think. It's the most easy to convert to any other license in the world. Uh, like and most like in the Middle East, all rules are based on the European uh, European operations and the laws of aviation. So it's easy to convert your European license to any license. Like if you come from the US, you have to do a lot of extra ground courses. For example, in the Middle East, because the license it's different. So one more question I wanted to ask you, and actually Ian Rodriguez asked this one as well. Ian Ian gave us lots of good stuff for this interview, so I'll give a little shout out to him. Being an A380 pilot, which is known to be flown mostly on autopilot, do you prefer to fly the airplane manually? Uh, of course. That's what's the, the most fun in the end. And so on the A380, if I can uh, just expand on Ian's question, in what situations are you... 
A, allowed to fly by hand, and B, which situations, do, uh, you know, I would assume that you're, you could do a, a, a class, was it called a class three? or a, Yeah, a cat three. three. Cat three landing, which is fully automated. I would assume you can so, do that in the A380 in inclement weather, but, uh, you know, landing the airplane has got to be the biggest thrill. But what, what, tell us what your favorite part is when you're hand flying. It is the landing. You know, it's it's mostly a competition because one pilot flies inbound, the other one flies outbound. So it's oh, it's human nature. You know, you start comparing stuff like who does the best landing, the softest landing, or sometimes you don't want to make a soft landing because of the weather. You want to make a firm landing. You just want to be on the ground. And, uh, it's it's always the most fun, the landing. And luckily, we're allowed to do it. And as you said, there's weather phenomena like low visibility. It's going to be out to land. Nobody does it better than the computer, to be honest. It's amazing if you do it with low visibility and you don't see anything. Suddenly, you hear 50 feet and then there's a runway. You know? What if there's a building? Then it's too late. But all the systems are amazing. There's so many backup and redundancy. It's, it's beautiful. It's scary, but beautiful sometimes. <laughs> I would imagine. Is it a thrill every time to land? Yeah, yeah. It never gets bored. If landing gets bored, you took the wrong profession, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I had a pilot friend who flew for uh, American Airlines who said, for him, flying was several hours of boredom followed by a few minutes of sheer terror. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if he chose the right career path either. Um, but anyway, nice... so any any other times at which you're flying by hand, I'm assuming your rotation is by hand and then a few thousand feet yeah, off, the, off the runway, but... Uh, my friend who who flies for this Canadian airline, um, so that narrows it down a little bit. He loves to fly by hand any chance he gets and for as long as he can. Yeah, I do the same. I try to do it as much as possible. It's the most fun. But you have to adjust to the situation. Sometimes you're in super crowded airspace, like in Europe, and it's best to engage the autopilot because you have, you know, you just monitor the autopilot. You put in the numbers, but you don't have to because if you hand fly. The other guy has to put in the numbers for you, and he has to do the radio. He has to retract the flaps. He has to read the checklist. So you have to take the the pressure away a little bit and divide it. So that's when the autopilot is a, is a really amazing you know, tool to help out. All right. So is there anything else you'd like to let our listeners know of? <clears throat> I think you mentioned to me that you had some numbers that you wanted to share. Yeah, I have some numbers ready for the listeners in case they want to make their A380 infinite flight experience a bit more realistic. I'll just start with some general numbers, just so people have an idea how big the airplane is. So the maximum number of passengers for the A380 certified is 853, which is 853, which will be a fully economy configuration. So imagine 853 people in one airplane, what a mess that's going to be. And there was one airline, they ordered two airplanes in that configuration, if I'm correct, Air Austral. But uh, I don't think, I don't know, I'm not sure if they're still going to get it or not. Oh, so they haven't taken delivery of those? It will be pure chaos. I don't want to be on board on that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. That poor crew. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, imagine how many, because you need, by law, you need for every 50 passengers minimum one cabin crew, but you cannot do that with you know, with 853. You're going to need 19 or 18, but still, it's not going to be enough. It's crazy. It wouldn't be a very nice experience for the customers either. No, I don't think so. But then, let's continue. So we have the wingspan of the A380. It's all in meters. I'm really sorry. So that's how the manuals are made. That's okay. We can use Google over here. Yeah, that's the it. Americans, so, anyway. Canadian, we know what uh, we know what meters are. Yeah, that's the thing. 
So the wingspan is 79.75 meters from the left to the right wingtip, which is amazing. It's huge. And then the length of the airplane, it's surprisingly, it's not the longest airplane flying. Though. The A340-600 is longer, a few meters. So the, the length is 72.727 meters. So go outside and do 72 meters, and you'll see how big the A380 is. And the highest point on the airplane, the tail fin, from the ground is 24.1 meters. And, and that's a massive tail fin, by the way. It is. And it has two rudders. It's huge. Huge. It's amazing. If you see it, it's it's crazy. And then you get again this feeling, how can this building fly? Exactly. And then let's have a look. So the engines, this is going to be interesting probably, and surprise a lot of people. So as you all know, the A380 has four engines. And the engines we use, they provide 70,000 pounds of thrust per engine at sea level. That's 70,000 pounds of thrust. And the cost for one engine is going to be more or less $13 million. 13 Yes, sir. Wow. That's just for one engine. So do that times four. Then you understand why an airplane is roughly between $350 and $400 million each. Amazing. Okay, so now some numbers to make your A380 flight more realistic. Have some speed limitations. The maximum operating speed, so the maximum indicated airspeed is 340 knots, which is 340 knots, or converted to Mach, it's 0.89. So if you want to be realistic, fly below those speeds, please. And then I want to talk about some maximum flaps and sled speed. There's one thing I, I can tell you guys regarding the, the new 320, which is coming, because on the Airbus, the Flaps are different than Boeing. In Infinite Flight, they are based on the, it shows the degrees, which is not realistic. It's the Airbus flap settings, they are zero, one, two, three, or full, which is the flaps lever position we have. So it's not like if you go in Infinite Flight on the A380, you have zero, one degree, eight degree, 17 degrees, 26 degrees, and 33 degrees. Actually, those numbers are correct, except for the one degree, it doesn't exist, but the eight degrees, 17 degrees, 26 degrees, and 32 degrees are the flaps angles. And when you're taking off in the A380, what's your flap setting? Uh, it can be one, two, three. Full is only used for landing, but for takeoff, I've used so far one, two, and three. And that depends on weather and yeah, altitude? Yeah, depends on weather, runway length available. There's a lot of info or a lot of data you need to. You just put it in a computer and it will calculate it for us, luckily. Okay. So what I can tell you on the A320, this is going to be more realistic. So instead of the degrees, we got, uh, Matt introduced the, the flap lever position like Airbus. So it's going to be 0, 1, 2, 3, and F, and it will be full on the dock. So which is great. I'm really excited about that because it was one of those little things that annoyed me always, flying an Airbus in infinite flight, and <laughs> uh, just those flap settings were not accurate. But let me give some information about the, the flaps. So flap lever position zero will give you slats zero degrees and flaps zero degrees. Maybe people want to write this down or when the post podcast is out, I will just uh, put the whole data in the comment box that you, when you announce it, it's probably better. Sounds great. So flap zero, flight phase, it's only used in cruise, of course. Makes sense. We have flap lever position one, which is eight degrees in infinite flight. To give you 20, 20 degrees of slats with 8 degrees of flaps. And your maximum speed 
should be 222 knots, 222 knots. So when you fly, take off with this flap setting, do not bust this speed, you will break your airplane. <laughs> then we have 17 degrees in the dock, an infinite flight, which corresponds to flap lever position number two, which is 20 degrees of slats with 17 degrees of flaps, and it's the maximum speed is 220 knots. And this is like flaps one used in takeoff and approach. Next is gonna be the 26 degrees, which is the same as flap lever position three, which is slats 23 degrees, flaps 26 degrees, and your maximum speed will be 196, so 196 knots. And this is used for takeoff, approach, and landing. And then the last one is 33 degrees, which will be changed, I hopefully, within the next update, to position full. And this will give you 23 degrees slats, 33 degrees of flaps, and it, the maximum speed is 182 knots. And this one is only used for landing. So you guys can use these numbers just to make it more realistic for yourself. Also, the maximum speed with the landing gear extended will be 250 knots, or Mach decimal 055, which is pretty interesting. And then the maximum ceiling will be 43,000 feet. So, but this is only when you're very light. I've only done it twice, I think. Normally, we don't go higher than 41,000 feet. Well, so what I was saying with the flap lever positions are going to be more accurate on the Airbus. So for the A320, it's already done, and I hope Matt is able to... I will send him the data soon, and I hope he can change all Airbus in infinite flight to zero, one, two, three, and full instead of the degrees, which will make it, for me, it will make it more realistic. It's, it feels weird to fly an Airbus with degrees flap settings instead of the numbers. Well, and obviously for you or any other Airbus pilots, it would irk you a lot. But, you know, even and a nice little addition for the audio would be um, hearing that nice British voice announce the uh, call-outs, the altitude call-outs, right? Ah, the altitude call-outs, yes. It would be even better with a lady voice. Do you have a lady voice in your flight deck? That's a guy. <laughs> I don't know. Ah, man, we had to remove this. Now I'm in doubt. But I prefer lady voices. We always... <laughs> uh, uh, well, anything else you wanted to leave our listeners with? Oh, I have a question for you before we before we do that. I've noticed in actually a couple of your tutorials, you've taken some screenshots, and I don't know whether this is just because maybe you weren't on autopilot and you were busy taking a screenshot, but I've noticed on the heads-up display you've got a nose-down attitude on the airplane. Is that something that you actually will do in, in real life? Are you flying at a nose-down attitude at any point? Sometimes when you start your descent, but mostly in the head you have two things. It's your flight path vector and your pitch. So you have to watch out not to get confused between, because the flight path vector is your actual vector. So if you're on an ILS approach with a three degrees glide slope, your pitch will be probably two degrees up, but your flight path vector is going to be, be this three degrees down. And that's indicated by a, that's indicated by the circle, right? Yeah, the circle with the two lines. The little floating like circle that push, flies around. Uh, yep. Okay. Exactly. So that when you put the flight path vector on the runway threshold, that's where you're going. Just follow it. It's an amazing tool. It will make your flying a lot easier. Yeah, and don't use the auto land too much, you know? It's a it's awesome. 
and I'm I'm actually one of these people that are thankful that they added the auto land because it's really fun. It is, especially when you're flying in zero visibility conditions. Which, if we fly around the Sydney region too much, we'll realize that that happens often. Um, exactly. But uh, you know, challenge yourself with your landings. Yeah, but it, even the, I would recommend do the auto. It's fun, you know, just to sit and be on your in your bed out the land to see how it does. Yeah. And try to do it better the next one. Do it better. See how the outer land do it, especially when you start. Because it will give you a good indication. You know, it, it will retard the thrust for you and it will pitch up a little bit. This is a good indication when to do it. And I think a lot of us who are used to flying the BBJ or the um, you know the 737 have noticed now that they've added auto land, they also added at the same time ground effect. So Yeah, true. And it and it's noticeably different. And you'll float down the runway, which is, you know, to be avoided in, in yeah, aviation, yeah, as we all know. So you'll notice that, and, and as a result, you have to kind of change the way that you bring the airplane down on the runway. And that uh, and you can bring your A380 down differently than a, 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 a 320 pilot would. Uh, having all that weight, you can really dig into the runway a little bit more. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah it's way more stable, especially with windy conditions, of course. You know, a 320, you're going to be all over the place, and we just, we just fly. We just, well, it's not like we just fly, but we're not being bounced around like a 320. Right. The and then speaking of that, there we've all seen the uh, YouTube videos of the people plane spotting at Dusseldorf and these light aircraft uh-huh. being just tossed all over the place in these crazy crosswinds. Have you uh, landed at Dusseldorf yourself? No, never. No. I've never been there. But I've been in those conditions and, you know, what can we say? I don't even remember them. I've seen the movie. But, you know, in the end, we're all professionals and number one is safety. And it really pisses me off a lot of time when you read people commenting on the internet. People have no idea about aviation and they think they know everything. And they, you know, the problem is when somebody says it, people start listening to it or they believe it. Mm-hmm. And they don't know the background of this person. That's why I always, when I read something and I see people just telling us some story which is completely not true, I try to correct it because it, it brings a lot of damage to the aviation world as well. Well, we appreciate the time that you take. Is there uh, anything else we wanted to add before we go? Yes, please have a look on the the tutorial about takeoffs. I made one, and it will talk about some non. Uh, it's not non. It talks about NADPs. It's uh, noise abatement departure procedures, which are used in real life. Mm. So to reduce the noise on airports close to cities, if you follow this once, you will see your takeoffs are going to be much more relaxed. You have more time. You're not going to climb with eight thousand feet a minute. And you have a, personally, I think you'll have a better experience. I added a movie as well, just as an explanation. It shows how I did it. And I would just recommend to the listeners, just give it a try. For sure, online, when you fly live, people will appreciate it. Because you're not going to be pushing other people as well. Because it's very annoying to see one person doing something which is very realistic, and then suddenly you have people, sorry to say it, behind it, who just doesn't follow any procedures. And it just goes off, and you're going to have conflictions. or you know, Just try to be... I think everybody flying in the advanced server has to be open to learn, because that's what advanced server is for. You know, they want to, we want to make it realistic. So please be open for that, and it takes time. There's always new people, of course. So we just everybody. It would be great. Everybody can teach each other and learn from each other. I've been corrected by people on the forum who just play a flight simulator, and they corrected me, and it's my job. You know, I should know better. But you cannot know everything in the end. 
people, please support the podcast because Jason is looking for some funds. So we don't want to let him pay everything from his own pocket. Even if you can miss $5, just go to the Flightcast website, use PayPal, just smile to your parents, and any little donation is welcome to keep this up and running. Amen. Wow. We're, yeah, we're definitely going to have you back on the show, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arnold, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. I appreciate all the advice you've given us and um, you know just all this great information. So thank you so much for joining us today. No worries, man. It's my pleasure, and we'll uh, I'll add some some pictures in the in the in the podcast when you release it on the forum, so people can have a look at that instead of writing everything down. And if listeners have other questions, we can always do another sh- podcast if they want. Well, I would certainly welcome that. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, man. It was my pleasure. That was Arnaut, and you can hear more from him on the Infinite Flight fan group on Facebook, and you can read his tutorials on the Infinite Flight community forums at community.infinite-flight.com slash C for Charlie slash tutorials. If you have more questions for Arnaut, as he said, please leave them in the comments for this episode or on Facebook or on the forums. He's always willing to answer. Thanks as always for listening. If you haven't already, head over to the App Store or Google Play and download Infinite Flight. Please tell your friends about Flightcast and visit flightcast.audio for more information. We would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a great review. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash flightcastaudio and on Twitter at flightcastaudio. If you have any ideas for Flightcast, please leave them in the comments. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening and happy landings. I'm your host, Jason Rosewell, and if you've... See, I'm going to have to do this once in a while. If you're flying... <clears throat> wow. It's early. I'm going to start the whole thing again. If you're looking for a... If you're a flight sim... Wow, why can't I read this sentence? It's too early. I should have scheduled this for later. Oh, what was I going to ask you? I don't know. I'm just looking where we are. I think we're at... Yeah, we're down to number six. Uh, Crap, I want to get this in there. I got to start typing stuff out as I'm thinking of it. Don't worry. Um, you were talking about speed break. Oh, right. Okay, here we go. And for people who maybe don't know, can you explain how the dew point would affect you when you're planning your flight? It's, it's dew point has more to do. This is a difficult question. I don't even know that. <laughs> That's okay. We can, we can <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> because uh, it has to do with humidity. I mean, if the dew point and the temperature are the same, it's humid. It could be foggy, but I don't want to say something bad. Yeah, no, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll scrap <laughs> that one. Nice. There's also this... The... the, the this... The... I... I lost it. The... The dragger. I call it... Let's call it a dragger. So it's a... I... Caramba. Sorry. Do you hear that? I got a phone call. Oh, <laughs> I didn't hear it. Oh, you didn't hear it? No. Okay. Just take it? That's good. No, no, don't worry. Like, I'm trying to run a professional show here, for goodness sakes. Sorry. Do you want me to... Yeah, that's... uh, Were you done with that, or do you want me to...
you want to continue? Yeah, yeah. Continue, I think that's it. Okay.